well-known verses, but by, by God's grace, we will take another look at them and see what the Spirit has to teach us. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you're looking in, in the Black Pew Bible, I believe you can find it on page 1022. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. This is God's Word, written for you and for me this evening. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would give us Your Spirit. We ask that You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and soft hearts to receive your glorious truth. Father, this is a wonderful, majestic, glorious truth, and we need your Spirit to impress it deep into our hearts that it might impact our lives, our thoughts, and all that we are. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you ever happen to be, uh, just by chance, uh, passing through Nashville, Tennessee, it's the city where I grew up, and you just happen to stumble upon the home where I grew up, And you were to walk in, and you were to walk in in the main den, the main living area above our couch, you would see a rather large painting. And it is a painting of my two brothers and me. Uh, You might not recognize this. It's quite a few uh, years ago. We're much younger than, but uh, you might be able to piece it together. And if you're like almost everyone else who has noticed that painting, who has looked at that painting, you would notice a striking resemblance. My oldest brother, Richard, and I, we look dead up like our mother, who in turn looks dead up like her father. And John, the middle brother, he looks dead up like our dad. Now this phenomenon, of course, is not unique to our family. Every time we get a a new baby announcement in the mail, or every time we see a new baby announcement uh, online, Uh, The first thing my wife does, she has an uncanny ability to do this, is to point out who that newborn looks like. That looks exactly like so-and-so. That looks exactly, look, the the newborn has the nose of her mother. I must confess, I don't quite have that that uncanny ability, but she, she can knock it out of the park. And of course, this is the idea of family resemblance. And we're all aware of this. Members of a family resemble one another. Members of a family resemble one another. They even start to to, to take on uh, one another's uh, characteristics. You start to act like your mother. You start to act like your father. We're all aware of this reality. But what is important for us this evening and what I want us to think about for a few moments together is simply this. Is that this reality is equally true, if not More so, in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm that we are the family of God. That as believers, we are called to bear a certain resemblance to our Heavenly Father. 
certain resemblance to our Heavenly Father and to our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to bear the marks, to bear the resemblance of the family to which we all belong by grace through faith. So as we look at God's Word this evening in 1 John, I want us to work our way through this passage under two main points. Our identity and our responsibility. Our identity and our responsibility. So first, what is our identity as Christians? Who are we as Christians? What is our position as believers? Look back at verses 1 and 2 and look at how John begins. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Note how he begins. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Note that first word. See. Stop. Look. Behold, as the King James puts it. Take note of. This is a summons to stop and to take note of. John is telling us that what he is about to say is important, and we ought to take a good look at it. We ought to, to, to look at what is coming next, to slow down, and to soak it in. Look at the next phrase. What kind of love? See what kind of love. Now this phrase, what kind of, literally means of what country? Of what country? Of what place? It's the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, when Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus calmed the storm and his disciples say, What kind of man is this? Who is this man? He is unlike anything we've ever seen. He, he is from a place altogether different from this world. And so is the Father's love for us. His love for us is of a different kind, it's of a different quality. It's as if John is saying, God's love for us is out of this world. It's an out of this world kind of love that He has towards us. It is unlike anything that we could see or that we could know in this world. Well, what is it specifically that John has in view? What specifically is John talking about? What aspect of the Father's love is so overwhelming to the Apostle John and ought to be overwhelming to us, his readers? Look at what he says next that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The glorious truth that so overwhelms the Apostle John that he says, stop, look, and behold, he summons us. This love that is from another uh, place, so to speak, that is of a different kind, is the idea that by God's grace, by his love, he has brought us into the family of God. It's what we call the doctrine of adoption. That we have been adopted, brought into the very family of God. Now, why would this be so stunning? Why would this so stun and so overwhelm the Apostle John? It's the idea that the darker the sky, the more glorious is that beam of light that comes shining through the dark clouds. So this, the more stunning this truth will be to us, it's set in place when we see it against the background of the darkness of our sin. 
When we understand who we are apart from God's grace, when we understand who we are by nature, all the more stunning is the wonder of God's love to us that we would be brought and adopted into the very family of God. Well, who are we outside of Christ? The Apostle Paul tells us, among other things, that we are dead in sin, that we are dead men and women and boys and girls walking. That we are dead in sin. That we are enslaved to sin. Paul says that the carnal mind, the unbelieving mind, is at enmity with God. It is an enemy with God. It is hostile to the very things of God. Apart from God, we are rebels running as fast as we can, as far away from Him as we can. We are empty. We are hopeless. We are helpless. The Lord Jesus even says in John chapter 8 that we are of the family of the evil one. Apart from the grace of God, you you do have another father. And that father is the evil one, Satan himself. But now, by God's grace, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. This is who we are. This is our identity. By God's grace, we have been brought into his family. You are a son of God or a daughter of the one true and living God by His grace alone. Listen to what the Apostle John says. The same John that wrote 1 John uh, talks about this also in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who received Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become what? Children of God. And in this family we have an elder brother. Our elder brother is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. Jesus is our elder brother. In this family, we have a new home. Heaven is our home. Our true home is heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Our truest home, where our family is, in the most ultimate sense, is the heavenly Jerusalem, the heaven above. This begs the question, why would God do this? Why would he bring rebellious, dead sinners into his family? That's a good question. It was because there was something inherently attractive in us? That there was something inherently lovely in us? Did God look down and say, that's an attractive fellow. I'm going I'm to adopt him into my family. That is a very kind young lady. I think she'd be a good member of my family. This is somewhat how human relationships are, to varying degrees. There is something, for husbands and wives out there, there is something that initially attracted you to your spouse. Maybe it was their their kindness or, or their appearance or whatever it might be. There was something initially that you noticed about them that attracted you to them. And of course, that love would grow deeper and deeper as the years went on. But when God looked down and noticed us, what did he see? Dark, sinful, dead hearts. And that is what is so overwhelming when we think about the kind of love, this otherworldly love that God has lavished upon us, that He would bring us darkened hearts, enslaved minds, running away from Him, that He would bring us rebellious sinners into His very family. One author says that this is who God is. He is in the business of changing rebels into his children, of bringing rebels 
into his very home. Martin Luther, one of the great forerunners, one of the great uh, reformers in the 1500s. In the year 1518, around summertime of 1518, Luther had a famous um, uh, debate or a famous uh, meeting, which is now called the Heidelberg Disputation in the year 1518, in which several theses, some 40 or so theses, were, were debated and were set forth. And the last Theses of the Heidelberg Disputation is one of Luther's most beautiful statements that he ever penned. And it speaks to what the Apostle John is talking about here. And he says this, The love of God does not respond to the lovely, but creates the lovely. Think about that for a moment. The love of God does not respond to the lovely, because there's nothing lovely in us for it to respond to. Rather, it is the love of God that does the, 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 the work of changing us, of, of bringing us into His family, giving us new hearts, new lives, of adopting us as sons and daughters of the one true and living God. So, dear friends, this evening, let me ask you a very simple question. When was the last time you've been overwhelmed by the love of God to you? When was the last time the love of God, we, we think about it often, we hear about it all the time on the radio station, in various books. When is the last time the love of God literally stopped you like it did the Apostle John? Stop you in your tracks. Perhaps you are struggling in evangelism. Perhaps you are struggling in your prayer life. Perhaps you're struggling with, with the fear of man and, and with the, the, the desire to please others before the Lord. Perhaps there's a, a fracture in, in a relationship with, with a spouse or with a child. Well, very often it's good to go back to the basics, back to the ABCs, back to a text like a 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called children of God. So our identity as Christians is that we have been adopted or brought into the, the, the very family of God. And that brings with it glorious privileges. Glorious and wonderful privileges. We need to understand that in the ancient Roman world, just like today, an adopted child was entitled to all the rights and privileges of the natural-born children. So as a believer... As one who has been adopted and brought into the very family of God, what glorious privileges we have as children of the Lord. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 12, has a beautiful, uh, wonderful, beautiful uh, chapter on the doctrine of adoption. I'm not going to read it, but let me just mention a few of the wonderful privileges that it speaks of there in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 12. We have received the spirit of adoption. We have access to God in prayer. We can call out to Him at any time, at any place, for anything as our Abba Father. God pities us. He protects us. He provides for us. And He even disciplines us out of His love as His glorious children. But John doesn't leave us there. John doesn't simply say, you've been adopted into the family of God and then, just, and then just move on. But rather, he thinks about this wonderful reality from two different angles. 
And it's important to understand what John is getting at. Look back at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And so John is thinking about our status. We have a new status as the children of God. He's thinking about our status from two different angles. Note these two angles that John mentions. He says, we are God's children now, today, at this very moment. But there's also a future angle. He says, what we shall be has not yet appeared. So there's a now aspect to our adoption, to our salvation, to the glorious privileges we endure. But John is clearly teaching that there is also a not yet aspect. What we are now and what we shall be. What does all this mean? What is John's point? What is John getting at? And there's three things, three brief things I want you to, to think about as we, as we think about what John wants us to understand. And the first one is this, that the moment you trust in Christ alone for salvation, that very moment, now, you have a new status as a child of God. The very moment of your, uh, of your initial faith, uh, of your initial conversion, you are brought into God's family now with all the glorious privileges that we just mentioned. Access to God in prayer, anytime, any place, we can come into to the very throne room of God, pleading to Him as our Abba Father. We receive His pity, His, His protection, and His provision at this very moment. But then secondly, what the blessings and the privileges we receive now are but a foretaste, a foretaste of this not yet. They are but a foretaste of the fullness of blessing and privileges we will receive in glory when we will see Him face to face. But then thirdly, and this is what I really want you to get this evening. Thirdly, there is a hiddenness to our present status as the children of God. Yes, we receive glorious privileges. We can call out to God and cry out to God at any time. A foretaste of what is to come. But there's also... So long as we are in this world before our Lord returns, a certain hiddenness. Look back at verse 1, the second half. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Just as Christ's glory, the eternal Son, just as His glory was for a time veiled when He walked this earth, People said, well, you're, you're, you're Joseph's son. You're Mary's son. I know you. You're the carpenter from Nazareth. Who do you think you are claiming to be the very son of God, the promised Messiah? I know who you are. There was a certain hiddenness, a, a veiledness to Jesus' glory when he was in his incarnate ministry here in this world. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Remember what the prophet Isaiah says about Jesus in verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So just as there was a certain veiled aspect to Christ's glory, so also there is a certain hiddenness 
to who we are as we live as pilgrims in this world. As believers, we don't walk around with a, a floating halo over our head. There is a certain hiddenness to who we are. Our identity is shown forth through the words that we speak as we give honor to Christ and through the works that we do as we reflect the, the, the light of this world to this dark world around us. One author used this, I think, helpful illustration. In this world, we are like fine buildings, but we are surrounded by a scaffolding. We're like fine buildings in which our Lord, the, the divine uh, architect, if you will, is shaping us. He's changing us. He's refining us. He's molding us that we might reflect more and more the glory of God. And when his building project is finished, so to speak, when he comes again, the scaffolding will be removed and our true identity will be made known to the watching world. So there is a now aspect to our salvation. Glorious privileges indeed, yet hidden for a moment until our Lord returns. But note what the future aspect is. Look back at verse 2. Notice further what John says. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Can you imagine what that will be like? Can you imagine what that day will be like when we will see our Savior face to face, when the scaffolding, if you will, will be removed and we will be publicly and gloriously owned by Christ before a watching world. We will see our Savior, our great shepherd face to face. What a glorious day that will be. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of information on how that's going to all work out. But don't we have enough right here? We shall see Him as He is, as our King, our Savior, our risen Lord, our elder brother. John Stott says this, It is enough for us to know that on the last day and through eternity we shall be both with Christ and like Christ. Is that not enough to encourage us and to satisfy us as we live our lives in this world, that we will be with Him and like Him one day for eternity? That day when he will say before the watching world, that one belongs to me. That one belongs to me. She belongs to me. What a day awaits us as the children of God. So first, that's our identity. Who we are as adopted sons and daughters of our Lord. But that brings with it a certain responsibility. What is our responsibility? What is our duty, if you will? And this is the second main point of our time this evening. Put simply, our responsibility is to grow in holiness. Look at verse 3. It's a short, sweet, simple verse. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Simply put, Christians purify themselves. Simply another way of saying, Christians grow. Christians grow in holiness. We grow in Christ-likeness. A couple things to note in particular about how, how John phrases this. First, look at that little word. Purifies himself. It's in the present tense. We don't have to be grammar experts to know that the present tense brings with it a 
continual present idea. This is a continual process, day by day, month by month, year by year. It's not a one-time thing we think, I'm done with the purifying process. Now I can do something else. This is a lifelong endeavor, a lifelong process of growing and cultivating holiness in our lives. We don't take, we don't take a vacation for growing in holiness. But then secondly, this is a statement of fact. Look again what John says. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is a declarative statement. It's not a wish. It's not even a command. John is not saying here in this text, go purify yourselves. It is a statement of fact. Christians will purify themselves. Christians will grow in Christ's likeness. It cannot be any other way. And why is that the case? Because we now belong to a new family. Because we are new creations. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are new creations in Christ. Our fundamental disposition has changed. Who we are has changed. We're no longer who we used to be. And as John Newton would so often say, I'm not who I'm going to be, but praise God I'm not who I used to be. We, we, we are fundamentally different people as we've been born again, as we've been born from above, as we have a new heart. Our minds have been enlightened. Our emotions have been reordered. We are not what we once were. We are now united to our Savior. We are united to our living head. John chapter 15 says that we, are, we abide in Christ. And as we abide in Him we are more and more conformed into His image. We have the Spirit of the risen Christ indwelling us, always at work, convicting us, shaping us, growing us by grace through faith. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to what Paul says. This is a very similar idea as to what John says in the passage we're looking at. 2 Corinthians 6, chapter 18 through chapter 7, verse 1. I will be a father to you, this is the Lord speaking, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. It's the very same idea that we are God's sons and daughters. Says the Lord Almighty, since then we have these promises, brothers. Notice that. Since then, because we have these promises, beloved, let us do something, Paul says. Let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So what is our responsibility? To strive, to labor by the grace of God, always by the grace of God, always by faith, because we are connected to our risen Savior, because His Spirit is in us, doing His work day after day, month after month, year after year. But we are called, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to run the race, to run in such a way that we might receive the prize, to, 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 to have that family resemblance that we considered a few moments ago. We purify ourselves as He is pure. One author puts it this way. 
If heaven is the destination, we must be traveling the road that leads there. So two things we've considered together for a few moments this evening. Our identity and our responsibility. And they go hand in hand. Who we are and what we are called to do. Who we are and how we live. And notice how tightly linked and connected they are. Our identity as God's children, our identity as being in the very family of God, necessarily brings with it a certain responsibility. A responsibility to our family, to our elder brother, to our heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. A responsibility to grow in holiness, to grow in Christ-likeness. Let me leave you with three closing applications. Three things to take with you throughout this week. The first is this. Take a moment this week, perhaps later tonight, before you turn off the lights, maybe tomorrow morning before you wake up for another week of work, to reflect on God's love for us, on God's love for you. For God so loved the world. Reflect on that little word, so. For God so loved the world. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Pray to be overwhelmed. Ask the Spirit, Lord, help me again be overwhelmed with your goodness, your mercy, and your love towards us. Pray that you could say with the Apostle Paul, Oh, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God. So first, reflect this week on the wonder of God's love for us. Secondly, recognize your true identity. Understand what is your fundamental identity. That if you are in Christ by faith, you are a child of God. We live in a world that is more and more, it seems, polarized with this notion of identity politics. The oppressors and the oppressed dominates the news cycle. But also... We live in a world with untold thousands upon millions of young people in particular looking to everything of this world that would be their identity. Finding their identity in things of this world and what the world might say about them. Dear friends, understand who we are. What is our fundamental identity? It has nothing to do with the world out there. It has to do with the Savior up there. If you are in Christ, that is at the most basic, fundamental level who you are, an adopted child of the living God. And then thirdly and finally, strive for holiness. Strive for holiness by His grace through faith. Ask yourself this question as we go about our weeks. Does this reflect well on my Heavenly Father? Does this reflect well on my elder brother? Perhaps that question might help cut through some of the fog of what it means to live for the Lord in a fallen world. Does this thought, does this image 
Does this activity reflect well on my family, on my new family, on my heavenly father, on my elder brother? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this simple yet wonderful, glorious truth that You have given to us in Your Word. Father, it is on one level easy to read these words and easy to to think about what it means that we are adopted children of God. But Father, knowing my own heart, how rarely does that reality sink deep into our hearts and lives. Father, it is so easy to be distracted and to get caught up in the things of this world and to forget the wonder of this glorious truth of adoption. That at one time, apart from you, we were part of a different family. That our father was the evil one. But now, by grace, we have been brought into your very family. That you, Heavenly Father, are indeed our father. That you pity us, you protect us, you provide for us. That you have given us your spirit, that you care for us. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, may that reality impact how we live both this evening, this week to come, and the years to follow. Father, we need more grace every day. We thank you that your mercies are indeed new every morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.